This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Well, on Friday at Gallery De Novo in Stewart Street, a new exhibition opens. It's an exhibition by a local artist, Ewan McDougall. I'm sure we're all familiar with his colourful expressionist works, those figures uh, that populate them, um, strangely shaped human beings, animals, other creatures, uh, very much a part of uh, our local landscape. And this exhibition on Friday is indeed Ewan McDougall's 100th solo exhibition. That's worth celebrating. Ewan McDougall joins us on the line now. Morena, Ewan, great to have you with us. Morena, Jeff, good to be with you. Ewan, do you remember the first solo exhibition? I do, actually. It was a big event for me because um, I started quite late as a painter. I was 40 when I started. And... uh, I had an exhibition over at a place called the Aero Club Gallery in Port Chalmers. No longer there now, but a beautiful space. And um, I think seven works sold. And I thought, this is a bit of all right. You know, you do what you love doing and people are going to give you money for doing it. So (laughs) I was off and running, you know. That is an encouraging start, and it's not necessarily the experience that all artists enjoy, of course, but um, no, yeah, one imagines right. that's not why you do it. And you did mention coming to it late, certainly in terms of um, you know putting your heart and soul into it, but the seeds were sown very early, back at, you know as a child. A uh, bit of spare time when you had it uh, was often spent bringing the watercolours out. Uh, that's right, yeah, because um, I grew up in Omer on T Street, and obviously there was no... Um None of the sort of uh, gadgets we have today, no Xbox or PlayStation, anything like that. It was a rainy day and we couldn't run out and play down by the the Cape and the Friendly Bay and all that sort of thing. We'd be stuck inside with uh, paints or books to read. So I did a lot of reading and um, a lot of watercolour painting and um, really developed a love for it as quite a young person. And that carried on at Waitaki Boys High where I went and Colin Wheeler was the art master there and he got me out of French and Latin and to be able to spend all that time in the art room, plus the ordinary art time. So I spent about a quarter of my scholastic time in the art room at Waitaki for uh, five or six years, and uh, I'm very grateful for that. I bet you are. I mean, and and, and within the context of the times, that was probably quite unusual. You were doing well academically. You would have been expected to concentrate on those other subjects, probably. Ah, definitely. Um, in fact, the other side of that story was that when it got, came to time to either choose an art school and um, and going to university, the rector got me in his office, and you know, it's quite quite a powerful man that, and, and said, um, "You're going to law school. Your grades are too good." And so uh, I'm afraid art lost out then, and I, I came down to Otago, which I don't regret that. I had fantastic experiences, got a good degree, did some teaching at university, and all that sort of thing, but. I always hankered for art, and it took me a while to get back to it, but when I did, it was uh, just wonderful to get back to it, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't law, was it? And indeed, when you did pursue um, academic life a little bit further, it was your politics, the the social climate of the times. You were quite active and passionate about about representing your views and and those of others at that time. Well, it was... You know, in the 60s at university, it was quite an active time politically, so a lot of people that I knew, almost everyone I knew, went on the demos against the Vietnam War and um, later on anti-apartheid marches and stuff like that. There was a lot of political activism around, as there is today with the school's climate protests. I find that sort of thing really heartening when young people do get involved in things. Um, So, yeah, it was an exciting time, and um, 
But the other side to that is, is that I, being in the 60s, I was surfing and I was also drumming in a, in a really good rock and roll band called Pussyfoot with some top Dunedin and New Zealand musicians, actually. So, um, you know, there was also a wild side to my life then. And uh, actually, that's kind of what won out for a while after. And I didn't continue with my academic career. Yeah. <clears throat> was it your feeling at the time, or did you have any sense at the time, you know, when you were channeling that creative aspect of your life into, into music, that that this was something that might um, almost be taking the place of another part in your life that wasn't being fulfilled? Was creativity and the, the chance to express yourself in that way you know, part of the happier times at that point? I don't think I was a terribly happy individual, to be quite honest. Um, but I, I did. I loved that thrill of being on the drums with a very good band in, like, the student hall, like, uh, at orientation week and stuff like that, and various gigs around town. And we also went to Wellington to a big university um, arts festival up there, and did really well. So that was exciting. It wasn't so well. It was kind of creative. We didn't write our own music in those days. I think everybody was a covers band until later on with the Dunedin sound. So we were we were covers band, but we put a lot of our own selves into the music and changed songs. So, you know, a song like Summertime Blues from The Who wasn't really the way they did it. <laughs> but we gave it plenty. There was an element of creativity and a great deal of excitement in it. Um, but uh, that didn't last forever for me either. So I was kind of left a bit bereft for a few years and ended up travelling around the world doing working on oil rigs and bars in America and pubs in, in London and iron ore mines in Australia and doing all sorts of work that I didn't really want to do, but that I sort of needed to to, to keep travelling and uh, partying, essentially. So, uh, yeah, I got, I got right away from any sort of creativity, actually. And it wasn't until, as I say, till I was 40 that I got back to it and with a great rush of enthusiasm, yeah, sort of ripped into it. Yeah. Well, all that partying took its toll, and and you know you you ended up spending some time at Hanmer Springs to get to get well, and uh, it, it yep. was while you were there that pretty much a transformational moment happened, right? It did. It's the sort of thing you read about in books and see in those films, like the Sandra Bullock one. That it actually, well, the, the the man that did it was a chap called Robert Crawford, who was the head psychiatrist and a personal friend of mine, and then later quite a big collector of my paintings. Um, I told him that I loved painting when I was a kid, and he said, well, you go out in there and paint this mural on the wall, which some other um, patients have done, um, you know, I guess for some sort of therapy. Uh, I went and painted the wall as I was told. I did, did everything I was told, and I absolutely loved it. I walked out of that room on about two feet of air, and, saw, and I thought to myself then that this is what I'm going to do when I get out of here, when I get well and go home. And that's exactly what I did do. I came home, threw the lawnmower out of the shed, made myself a studio and um, <clears throat> started working, yeah. And so the way you worked then, when, when you when you got into it, was it similar to the way you work now, where you sort of put a, a big wash of strong colour and just go for it, or were you trying different styles and finding <clears throat> where you wanted to be? Um, no, I started off um, as I've been taught at school, but also, you know, in the 60s in Dunedin, almost every student flat that I knew anyway had a big Salvador Dali poster on the walls, you know. So I, I went to the library, um, I got books out on Surrealism, books out on Picasso and on Art Brut and all sorts of and Expressionism and all movements like that, read these books and looked at the pictures for a long time and then I had a go at, at um, Surrealism, which, you know, serious Surrealists will laugh at, but, you know, I was very careful. I was down to painting with like a one or two hairbrush to get 
somebody's eyelashes and things like that, being very, very careful. And I spent, but only a few months of that because I got, became frustrated with it quite quickly. I'm not really a careful person in that sense. Like when I'm playing drums, I smash them hard. <laughs> I'm not like a, a peddler's drummer, a very well-drilled, careful drummer at all. And it's the same with painting. So I, I became fed up and started to loosen up. And I had a visit from a friend of mine I used to go surfing with, uh, Lindsay Crooks, who suggested that I loosen up a bit and, and throw some colour around and see how that feels. And he was absolutely right. It felt great. And... Um some of our listeners will remember an amazing exhibition that came through Dunedin, um, the Masters of the Guggenheim exhibition. And, I uh, certainly do. Yeah, and what a treat that was. And you, you got um, further inspiration from one of the works there. Yeah, Carol Appel, um, the Dutch art brook painter, or, or raw art painter they call it as well. Um, I think it was The Crying Crocodile Catches the Sun. Beautiful title as well. And a lovely, um, very loose painting, but very strong, very powerful. And, yeah, it wasn't only that painting. There were a number of works in that exhibition that I spent a lot of time looking at, but that that one sticks out of mind now. When we talked earlier about your first solo exhibition, where was that in the in the timeline? Um, I think it took me a couple of years. I, um, I painted away and um, listened to it, and so you got a bit looser, but I... I I didn't really know what to do, so I had all these works stacked up in the shed and around the house, and then got a visit from John McDougall, the late John McDougall, who was a wonderful uh, sculptor in Dunedin. Uh, no, no relation, relation to mine, apart from deep back in the clan past. And John said that um, he was having an exhibition at this Aero Club, and would I join him in a two-man show? Which I did, and really enjoyed that, and and that's why I had ended up having the solo exhibition there because I also sold quite well at that. So the first solo exhibition was a follow-on from John McDougall being very kind and inviting me to join him over there. I don't know how many conversations you have with those who purchase your art, but but what do you hear from people who make that choice about why they're buying your work and what they enjoy about it? Well, I'm, I'm very lucky, and a lot of people do talk to me now and again. I've been stopped on the supermarket by people saying, we wake up to your painting every day, and we, we love it. It's uh, colourful and fun and bright and happy, and um, I, I love hearing that. It's really it's wonderful to think that something you've done can make people happy, you know, when you think about it. It's, but, quite, it's not that easy to do that, I guess, but anyway, and that's not to say that all of my painting is happy and fun, and I'm glad that some of it is. There is some dark work. I do do dark political work now and again and the sort of work that you probably wouldn't want to hang in your bedroom and think what a lovely painting but um, that's in the minority pretty much most of it's pretty buoyant work I think What sort of scale do you enjoy working on Ewan? Um, you know, have you ever done gigantic canvases? Uh, the biggest I think I've done is 2 metres by 3 metres and because I'm working inside, in um, actually the room where our son was born, um, I, I can't fit a huge painting in through the doorways, so I do a trip, triptychs or diptychs, so that's two two canvases or three canvases. And this big one, I had three canvases stuck. One canvas was on one's wall, and the other two were on the other, the back wall, so I was sort of painting in a half room, if you get what I mean. And that was fun, being totally immersed in the painting in that sense. Um, I've painted a lot of um, work around a bit smaller than that, like the diptych size, 
uh, sort of two metres by 1.5. But at the moment, what I'm enjoying most is what I've got in Gallery de Nova on Friday, a lot of work. It's actually 1,200 by 1,500. It's just a beautiful scale. I love working at sites. The environment that you're painting in uh, in your home life, it's all obviously very important um, and you know, you have a creative household in general. Of course, your partner Sarah, uh, a creative yeah. person, a, a writer. Um, tell us how you work. It's it's quite unique. I mean, for a while, you, you you had to nurture each other and give each other a little bit of space and take responsibilities and swap between the household chores and so forth. Does it still work that way? Yeah, that's the thing that um, <laughs> we've done for years. I've done that since I was forty-two. We decided early on that. A lot of our arguments were around domestic things, like who hadn't done the dishes, I'm sick of cooking, blah, all those sort of things that we probably all know, even from our flatting days, you know. Um, and so we made this deal, actually, um, and the idea was that we'd share it week on and week off. And I, I knew about that from working oil rigs in the North Sea, that you go and do two weeks on the rig, you come back and you've got that two weeks off. And it's not too bad a way of going. And because I wasn't working in an office and neither was Sarah, we could do it. And so we did that early on, and that gave us each, you know, a week every fortnight, two weeks every month, to dedicate solely to what we wanted to do, our mahi, our creative work. And I think that's been a godsend, really. That's made such a, a difference in our in our lives. That simple thing. Um, and we, well, Sarah works up in her. She's got a studio up the back. She works up there. I work in my um, studio in the house. And, we sort of meet for lunch and <laughs> go back to work. And we've done a few days' work, we'll go and see a movie or something, you know. It's, uh, it's pretty good. I think it's a good balance, uh, creative life, actually. Life uh, has come with its challenges, and you know, we've already touched on some of them. One of those more recently was was cancer for you, and in a pretty sobering time, no doubt, uh, where yep. you would have been thinking about a lot of things, not just your own work. But in terms of coming out the other side of that, um, would you say that there has been an impact on, on, on the work you're producing or was it important to you just get to back into the headspace that you were in before? <clears throat> I kind of got back into work pretty well straight away. Uh, obviously, after a bigger, I had three operations. After those operations, it takes you a while. You haven't got the strength. But I do just a little bit. Even if I could go in the studio for 10 minutes, I felt fulfilled, you know, and then that actually obviously built up over time. Um Look, I, I, you know, there was a time when I thought I was going to die. There's no point in beating around the bush. It's quite a serious thing. Um, but I didn't. I'm eternally grateful for everything that got me through it. Um, Sarah brought me in one of my paintings, just a small one, because obviously I couldn't bring a huge thing into the hospital. And we had, I had this little painting beside my bed, sort of for the whole uh, couple of weeks I was in there for the first operation. And that did kind of remind me of what I am and what I do. And no matter how bad things got, I always had that to look at and think, I'm going to do that again, you know. And so, yeah, and I think that painting was a very good thing for me, even in there, under those circumstances, yeah. And so we come to this 100th solo exhibition, Ruby Plus 100, at Gallery de Novo, which opens on Friday. How would you describe um, the works that we'll see in this exhibition? Um, well, there's one key works, uh, because... Sarah and I had our 40th or Ruby wedding anniversary earlier on in February. We decided that we'd have um, Sarah would write a poem and I would respond to it um, in paint. So she wrote a poem called Skin on the Skin, which is a lovely poem. I hope you can get in and see it. And, and I just read the poem and 
straight away painted a painting as quickly as I could, um, getting the vibe of that poem, the words to paint, you know. So those two works will be together. And <clears throat> that painting is quite different from the rest of the work, A, because I was responding to her vision, and B, because I did an acrylic painting pretty quickly. I still, I think it's worked very, very well, but it's different from my um, normal work, if you like, and you probably noticed that in the show. But it's basically, it was just a whole variety of new work that I've done. That's all recognisably my work, and um, I'm very happy with the paintings and the way that they're putting them up on the wall, actually. Once they are up on the wall, you have something of a tradition with your exhibitions, don't you? You want to share that with us in terms of a little activity <laughs> that you do? You're extremely well informed. <laughs> I, what I do, look, when I was young at school, I was uh, a cross-country champion and mile runner and all of that because I'm related to, related to Jack Lovelock. I had to do this as a kid, of course, and I loved it. Um, that career, of course, sort of floundered at university when you got down to the student parties and all of that. So that career crashed. But every now and again, I'd have a a regulation run around the gallery every every new opening that I have and uh, it's just a fun thing to do you know and people film it now and uh, ends up being on social media and stuff but yeah it's just a bit of fun really I've only actually only actually missed one and that's I had a show in Taranaki uh, a touring show it went around public galleries and stuff I couldn't go to that because I had a bit of fatigue and wasn't well enough so that's the only one I've missed in years actually well, we're looking forward to your run around the gallery at uh, Gallery de Novo, Ewan, um, uh, for this this wonderful uh, line in the sand, I suppose, your 100th solo exhibition. It runs through until the 16th of March at Gallery de Novo, so do get along. Opening on Friday, and I suppose, Ewan, with uh, having now chalked up 99 of these exhibition openings... Uh, there's a lot of very familiar faces every time you go to these galleries, right up and around the country, I suppose. You look forward to those? Are you someone who enjoys the, the opening experience? I do. I, I do very much. I mean, it can't be too hard. People generally have come along. They come along because they like work, so they're hardly going to come along and say, hey, I hate that painting. <laughs> they're generally going to come along and say they like the work or we'll be catching up with old friends. And uh, it's, yeah, generally a delight for me. I'm, I'm very lucky that I ended up having this... Um, this career, actually, it's um, yeah, it's just it's, it's a lovely thing. So I'm very, very blessed. Well, the hundredth exhibition, Ruby plus one hundred. Um, no doubt there will be more. Uh, but thank you so much, you and McDougall, for taking some time to join us here on ORFM. All the best for this exhibition. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Kia ora. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.